0: Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, "...to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the following. This is the solemn pronouncement of the one who has a firm grasp on the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works as well as your labor and steadfast endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have even put to the test those who refer to themselves as apostles but are not." and have discovered that they are false. I'm also aware that you've persisted steadfastly, endured much for the sake of My name, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You've departed from your first love. Therefore, remember from what high state you've fallen and repent. Do the deeds you did at the first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That is, if you do not repent, but you do have this going for you. You hate what the Nicolaitans practice. Practices I also hate. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will permit him to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God." Again, don't forget who's talking. This is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the beginning and the end. This is the Almighty God who created you and who created me. There's no debate in reality about who's in charge. We don't like to acknowledge it, but it's set. This is from His mouth. This is from the words of Him who's in control. And so, what's so powerful about it is we have an opportunity to learn and to please God from obeying what He says. And that's a very, very, very big privilege. We'll talk more about that. Let's commit this time to the Lord, shall we? Father, we need you badly. We trust you, Father, to guide and to lead. Uh, We know that we're weak. We know that anything good in us is only from your Spirit working in us. So, we depend on you now, Lord. We've said it often, but life is just crazy busy, Father. And and uh, sometimes it's hard to, to come and to set aside everything else that's going on and focus in. But really, eternity depends on our obedience of what You have to say to us here. So work in each of our hearts, please. Prepare us and guide us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's break down a little bit of what's going on here because I learned all kinds of great things about how to be obedient based on some of the understanding and context of what was happening. Uh, so first of all, a brief overview of this message or these messages uh, to the seven churches. Uh, I found some interesting patterns. First of all, this three-step process was at least six of the seven Churches uh, that Christ said, first, something very encouraging about them. He took the time to build them up, to encourage them, to reinforce the obedience that they were showing. Then he had some very direct challenge for them. Very clear, very easy to understand. Get it done. Then guess what he circled back with? More encouragement. More encouragement. And He wrapped up what He was saying to at least six of the seven of them with something, again, positive to let them know that He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the authority. But you know what? He identifies with them. He loves them. He is encouraging them to continue on the good things that they're doing. A little bit of a side note, but not a far side note. I wonder if this would be a a tremendous pattern for us to exhort each other. Uh, coming alongside, I'm told that the, uh, the word exhortation or encouragement um, really means to come put an arm alongside and challenge and point in the right direction. And we're called, by, or called in Scripture to do that for each other. My friend Ethan is getting really good at it, and it kind of stinks, because you can count on him challenging you and encouraging you. And it's seldom easy to take. Have you noticed that? Not necessarily from Him. He does it well. But it's not easy to hear that I'm wrong, that I have to change, that this has to improve. But I know how much He loves me because um, more and more in a loving, encouraging way He's coming alongside me saying, KT, consider this. Think about this. Can I challenge you on this? And that's our privilege with each other. And as we challenge each other, as we challenge and encourage our, our spouse, that's a hard one. As we challenge and encourage our kids and our friends, let's try this pattern. Let's try starting with something encouraging, something we're thankful uh, that they're doing. Move then to a gentle, loving challenge um, for some thought. Then again, wrap up with some encouragement uh, so that the person you're, in, you're challenging or exhorting knows how much you love them, knows that you appreciate them, know that it's not a, a value issue, it's because of great value in the relationship that you're pointing them towards something else. So again, sort of a side note, but I was I was challenged with that. Do I start with encouragement when I'm letting know letting Amanda know what she needs to do better? Or Allie or Anna or Aaron? Do I then gently confront? And then do I make sure that there's encouragement to wrap up the exhortation? Christ was faithful to do that. And let me point out that He didn't leave that out for the seventh church on accident. He had a hardcore message for the Laodiceans. And that brought up kind of the, uh, the next point that I wanted to mention on the overview of all seven churches. There were two churches in particular that kind of served as the bookends The church of Ephesus, what was the main challenge? What did he have against them? Thank you, Joe. They had left their first love. That's serious stuff. It's fundamental to our relationship with Christ. And then he wraps it up with a challenge to the Laodiceans. Does anyone remember what the challenge to the Laodiceans was? We didn't read it, but it's there in chapter 3. You're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I wish you were hot or cold, but this wishy washy garbage is just disgusting to me. And there you've got two solid bookends that, if there's a message that we can grab a hold of in this entire series, there'll be many, but one of the key is hey, stay close to your first love, and we'll talk about what that means. Don't neglect your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the other bookend is let's stop messing around. Let's stop being wishy-washy. Let's stop being half a foot in the Christian life and half a foot in the world. Let's get serious because God is looking for serious worshipers and serious followers. And I was challenged this week that I need to be dedicated to my first love and I need to be faithful and fervent and zealous in my service to Him. And so I think you'll find as you read about all the messages to the churches, the start and the finish have some real power and they relate then to a lot of what he's telling the other five churches. So general patterns, we've got kind of bookend messages. Geography, this is interesting. Notice that Jake showed us that you've got seven churches in kind of a loop there in Asia. Starts in Ephesus, and Ephesus used to be a a big port, so there's a lot of uh, commerce there. Now, by the way, it's not a port because the sea has actually uh, gone way back. How many miles do you think, Theron? Anyone know? Several, several, several miles. When you're standing uh, in Ephesus, you really can't even see water. And yet at the time, it was was, uh, right up to the doorstep there. So, major commerce. Then you go around the loop, Smyrna, Pergamos, Tyros, Sardis, Philadelphia, and you come back to Laodicea, the other bookend that I talk about. And you've got a complete loop. Now, I shared with you already that I'm convinced that the order of how the Alpha and the Omega laid out these challenges was no accident. And I've already shared with you that I'm convinced that the starting message to the Ephesians is a powerful overview of how each of the churches should obey. And the message to the Laodiceans is a wrap-up, be careful that you're zealous in these things that are being laid out by The Almighty. And I've got a question. This isn't exceptionally deep, but to me it points out how powerful God is and how uh, wise He is and how orderly He is. Did He arrange the cities and the people in the cities and the rivers Going to the cities which back up the illustrations that he did he create all that because of this message that he was going to have for those churches and for us? Have you ever thought about that? God is so masterful. Is that why he made this, this loop? Is that why he put rivers through Laodicea so that he could remind them about the illustration of the water? Food for thought, but I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past him. And if that's true, then it just drives home the main point. What, is, what are we here for? What is creation here for? It's all to point us to God. It's all to deepen our relationship and our devotion to Almighty God. And if He's going to put a river or two near Laodicea to drive home the fact that spiritually lukewarm water is disgusting to illustrate how lukewarm living for Christ is, is an abomination then maybe He did it that way to point us to God. To point us to God. Another side application of that, we're told that because Christ loves us, He's going to discipline us. Because He loves us, there's going to be trials that are allowed by Him to shape us and mold us to be more like Jesus Christ. And Ethan, again, has been faithful in my life, um, Dad as well, and many others. Don't don't uh, resist, don't get bitter, don't fight tooth and nail. Instead, uh, let's allow those challenges and trials uh, to teach us and to shape us in the direction that God would have us go. So all kinds of side notes there. Let's get back into the actual message to the Ephesians. Again, there's some key things. Hopefully you have your Bibles Um, I've got my handy electronic Bible up here, but hopefully you have yours and you can have these verses open because I want to go uh, through some key things. Again, don't forget, this is the Almighty speaking. Remember, He says He has a firm grasp of the stars, which earlier in chapter 1 He says that they're actually uh, symbolic of the messengers for each church, quite possibly the actual people that would deliver the letter from John to each of the each of the cities and then read to the churches. He also says that he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Remember that the seven golden lampstands are the churches. The churches. Now what is a lampstand's job? Yes, Whew, I was nervous for a minute there cuz it ain't rocket science, people. The lampstand holds the lamp. Well done. Well done. But what a cool picture. Who's the light? Who is the light? Jesus Christ. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Jesus Christ is the light. And what is it? the, what is the, the church's, what are these churches' purpose? What is our church's purpose? Hold up the light. Hold up the light. Display the light. Everything about what we do for our 74 and a half years on earth as we know Christ, is to show Him off, to hold Him up, to reveal Him. And everything I do needs to be having Him look great. And I was convicted this week. There were some things that I that I said and I thought about um, and some of the ways that I spent time that, that I don't think held Christ up as high as He deserves to be held up. And that's got to change. It's got to change. If I truly love Christ as my first love, and if I'm truly zealous instead of lukewarm, then my lampstand, our lampstand, this lampstand, collectively we need to hold up Christ big time. So don't forget that this is the Almighty that walks amongst the lampstands. He says to the church in Ephesus, I know your works as well as your labor and steadfast endurance. And he goes through the encouragement. Let's break that down. That was a good picture. That was the reminder of who we're seeking to obey here. First of all, the encouragement. Four things that they're doing very, very well. Four things that they're doing well. And I wanted to back up that these are not just four... Token things that Christ was throwing out there to make him feel better about himself before he brought down the hammer. These are real things directly from Scripture. Directly from Scripture. Steadfast endurance. He says I know your steadfast endurance. What does Second Timothy two three say? Endure hardship as a faithful soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardship as a faithful soldier of Jesus Christ. Have we heard that verse before? A few times. Jake says no. A few times over the last series, right? They were doing that. They were doing that. They were enduring. They were steadfast. And Christ says, well done. That's the way to be. You get it blue, right mom? Whenever my mom went to a wrestling match when we were growing up, there was a blue and a red often and, and uh, you'd hear my mom yell from the stand, You get it, blue! You get it, blue! That was encouraging. Thanks for that, Mom. But this is an encouragement. This is, yeah, get it done. You're doing it. Well, well, well done. The second thing is they did not tolerate evil. They did not tolerate evil. That's huge. The second part of Romans 12.9, Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good, hate what is evil. That's another word for abhor. Hate what is evil. Don't stand for it. Cling to what is good. So far, two key verses, aren't they? Two key verses that we go back to in Scripture over and over. Say, like, okay, I got to endure hardship. I got to endure hardship. Okay, I got to hate evil and cling to good. No to evil. Yes to good. This is the quest of where we seek to be obedient. They were doing it. And they were good at it. They were faithful with it. They were consistent enough to where the Almighty said, well done, you're doing it. When the Almighty says that, that's a big deal. These are not token people. These are hardcore Christians that are following Christ And one of the two of the key ways is that they're extremely obedient in the way they're enduring steadfastly in the way that they're not tolerating evil. The third, they're prudently evaluating who they follow. What does Philippians 3 2 say? This is a test. Why is this a test? Remember, we as a family are going to be memorizing Philippians. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Warnings from the Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi saying, hey, don't follow just anybody. Be so careful about who you follow and who you listen to. They were doing it. They were carefully evaluating. They were prudently evaluating who was worth following. Did did the message match up to what the Almighty was saying? If not, forget it. We will not follow will only follow true apostles because they have the true message well done and finally they didn't grow weary man anybody in this room should appreciate that weariness is just man it seems like it's every day and yet they didn't do weary second Th- thessalonians 3:13 don't do don't grow weary in doing good don't grow weary in doing good it's tough You get little thanks. You get more work to do. You get taken advantage of when you do good. When you seek to be giving to others. Don't get weary of it. You know how hard it is to not get weary. They were getting it done. So what's wrong? Man, those four things, if the Almighty said, KT, these are the four things you're doing, I'd be thrilled. But... But, you've departed from your first love. You've departed from your first love. Very clear message. Jesus Christ, the Almighty, is the believer's first love. And we cannot sway in our closeness, our connectedness, and our relationship with Him. And as soon as we do... We can be the model of pillars of Christian living. But if we are not intimately connected in a loving and zealous and passionate way with our Savior, we're not getting it done. And it's just been so powerful for me to think about that. Go, go, go. Do this, do this, do this. Get it done. Keep this. Move on to the next thing. Check that off the list. That's where we live not enough and in fact it's hollow if we're not connected and close to our first love you've departed from your first love how are you feeling this morning on that I had some real conviction over the last probably three weeks on this am I intimately close to Jesus Christ it's a tough one. Ask yourself and, and look into it. The message is don't focus on the doing. Don't focus on the doing. There's a great picture of this. It's interesting. Christine, and I always um, are kind of amazed at the timing of things. Now sometimes she claims that when I'm studying a passage for three or four weeks, everything is about what I'm learning in these passages. But then we go back and realize, you no, know, you know what? There are a lot of connections. God does bring connections. So I'm reading about, you know, don't focus just on the doing. And she brings me a devotional by Cynthia Hild. Excellent, excellent devotional. And guess who it's about? Two ladies. Two sisters. Anyone know their names? Mary and Martha. And Jesus Christ Himself, the Almighty, was coming for dinner. And He came, and Martha was doing, doing, doing. Getting the house ready. Getting the meal ready. So much so that she was overworked. Her sister Mary, guess where Mary was? Her house too. Jess, where was she? At the feet of Jesus. Jesus. Listening. Learning. Interacting. Growing closer in her relationship. And read the passage. It's kind of almost uh, humorous to where Martha goes to Jesus and says, Christ! Tell my sister to get her rear in gear here. I'm doing all the work and she's sitting here. And what does Jesus tell her? Mary has chosen the better way. Mary has chosen the better way. And this devotional that was, as we read through it and talked about it, it's right on. It's not about the doing. The doing should flow out of my intimacy and closeness with Jesus Christ the cart before the horse, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. And we can do this and that and the other thing so fervently that we can lose sight. I thought about uh, John 15. And if you could turn there, uh, we won't take a long time on it, but I, I definitely want us to learn this chapter well. So again, uh, I know many of you are studying different things, but if you get a chance to read through John 15, it's again, it's been very challenging to me. Verse 4, Jesus Christ Himself says, "...abide in Me, and I in you." Well, what in the world does abide mean? Well, He goes on to use an illustration. "...as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you..." Unless you abide in me. Where does the branch out here that's supposed to produce the grapes get all of the nutrients and sustenance? From the vine, the part that goes into the ground, the part that supplies the strength and the nourishment, the protection, all of those things. That's the connected relationship that Christ says is crucial. That's crucial. I am the vine, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in him bears much fruit. For without Me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Me, he goes on to say it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. 7. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, talk about that, if My words abide in you, You will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may May be full. This concept of abiding is central to Christ being our first love. And just like the branch understands its dependence on that vine, we have to be constantly dependent on Christ. Thankfully, He's made it so easy. What did First John 4 say? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God does not. I'm sorry. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is how God has showed His love to us. And He goes on to say that He gave His only Son um, to be the satisfaction of our sins. And then it says, if God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. Christ has laid out this incredible opportunity to know Him and to love Him and abide in Him, to draw every bit of strength from Him, to be close to Him, to be in love with Him, to hunger to talk with Him and to hear what He has to say. Did you catch that about if you abide in me and my what? Abide in you? My words. Now, if only we had access to those words. How many copies of those words do you have on your shelf, Brother JP? Six, seven maybe? We've got a lot. There's no shortage of Bibles that lay out Christ's Word to us, is there? The shortage is our abiding in those words. And I've got to step that up. Join me in that. Because the more we abide in His words, the more we are close to Him. The closer we are to Him, the more fruit. These four things they were doing, they're great things. And if you stay close and connected and in love with Christ, it's only going to enhance all that you're doing. But with more what? What will be full if you're you're abiding in Christ? Joy! God did not design your 74 years here knowing Him to be drawn face. These are joyful opportunities. This is fulfillment. You know that your neighbors, and we struggle with it too, are seeking for any bit of fulfillment that they can possibly get. Whether numb the pain with alcohol, or or this and that, and, and all of these things that amount to no satisfaction in the end. The only satisfaction is joy in a close, intimate relationship with Christ. It's what it's all about. And oddly enough, it's what the Ephesians were missing. And, and the, what's at stake was huge. What was at stake? What was going to be removed? if they didn't get back to their first love? Remember it? I will come and remove what? Look at the verses there. Your lampstand. What's their lampstand? The church. lot of different views on that. We know it doesn't mean losing their salvation, but could it mean they'd lose their reputation? They'd lose their ability as a family to truly reflect and hold up Christ, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. And we are wallowing around in the world and wasting our time and energy on things that don't matter. Now don't get me wrong. Every blessing that God has allowed us with technology and provision and and abundance, it's great if it can be used for God's glory if it can be used to draw your heart closer to Jesus Christ. But we've got to focus on that deep relationship. Give me, Let me give you two illustrations. Kevin, help me if you could, my friend. Come on up here. And uh, you can tell my drama skill. I actually should have planned this skit out before. But... Um, You know, I'm going to... And Anna's going to kill me. Is it all alright if I spread these for me? Okay, stand back there. Okay, I drop my papers. And Kevin, being the great guy he is, comes up to help me. And I come in here like this and I put my back to him. And he's trying to help me. And um, maybe he gets one. No thanks. I don't give him a hug on the shoulder and say, thanks, bro, I appreciate that. Nothing. I just turn my back to him and... Crazy illustration, but do you do that with God? I do. I am grateful, brother. Good thing you have your wife now to come for you. (laughs) But think about that illustration. How many times is God, in Revelation 3, it says, knocking on the door of your heart, wanting to have connection, wanting to help you with the papers that are strewn all over? But no, I don't want your help. I'm going to do it myself. And if he does get one and hand it to me, oh, give me that paper, that's mine. Of course, back to it. No gratitude, no closeness, no connection. Can't be the case. I do it all the time. uh, Search your heart to see if you respond to God's provision that way. If you respond to God's invitation for closeness and connection. The second illustration is not mine, it's God's. Ephesians 5 lays it out completely clearly that our marriages are pictures of our relationship with Christ. And that first love concept, that needs to be the clearest in our marriages. And I want you to think about this. If you've been married for more than a week, you know (laughs) that this is the case. Christy used to say it like this, Katie, I feel like we're roommates. Because there's a way of getting to the point where we're both just doing and doing and doing and we're saying, hey, hi, and goodbye. But we're just existing. But that's not what this marriage is designed for. Marriage was designed for a close, intimate connection. Eye to eye, as well as shoulder to shoulder. And the connection that we can have with each other as husband and wife, is literally a miracle. It's unbelievable. And the illustration is that you know, I hope you've experienced those incredibly close and connected times to your husband or to your wife. And they're priceless. They're priceless. And that's what marriage is about. It's not about just being shoulder to shoulder and being ships that pass in the night so that you can share rent. It's about an intimate, close relationship. And that close relationship is a picture of how we need to relate to Christ. And again, it's kind of a side note, but let me share with you two challenges that I've had on that. Men, providing for your household and working and accomplishing that and being there to take out the garbage, that's all excellent stuff. That's that list of four things that the Ephesians was just kicking tail on. But you need to open up your mouth and talk deeply with your wife. You need to bring up discussion and questions and intimate talk. Now again, for our wives, we know that intimate talk could simply mean, you know, tell me about your day, and, and even harder, let me tell you about mine. It wasn't just fine. Let me tell you about the details. And I go through it. Have you ever been to a restaurant and walked, looked around a little? How many married couples are sitting there in silence? Have you noticed that? Tons, and I'm okay with silence. There's a there's a security. We can be quiet. We can be deep in thought. But something that uh, Christy's been great about from our honeymoon since, and I really am working hard at, is we have to work to connect. We have to work to connect. And when I don't feel like uh, feel like talking about the details of my phone discussion with the corporate office. She wants to hear that. And she wants to know about how I feel about this and that. And, and she wants me to ask her about how she feels. And you know it. It's not new, but when she says, I'm really struggling with this, she doesn't want my solution. She wants me to hear and listen and empathize with her. You know what I'm talking about. That close connection. The close connection whether it's a candlelight dinner or just uh, sipping tea in some cases for us, or whatever it is, you need it in your marriage if your marriage will be the fulfillment that God's designed it to be. Likewise, if your relationship with Christ has become ships passing in the night, the turn your back, I'm going to get it done myself, doesn't cut it. Ladies, now I'm really going to get in trouble here. You are such hard workers. You put us men to shame. You are incredibly hard workers. And sometimes the passion and drive that you have and show in how you work to nurture and raise your children, sometimes that gets in the way of how you nurture and love and connect with your husband. Sometimes you're doing such great things that you're so busy and wrapped up with the kids that sometimes you neglect the connection with your husband. And just like we men are boneheads with focusing on work, 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 ladies, sometimes the kids, as important as they are, that family falls apart if your relationship with your husband isn't growing to where it needs to be. Have you seen a a household that... that, uh, has been hit by a marriage falling apart. That relationship is so key. And I would urge you men to do the things that we talk to initiate intimacy, connection, closeness. Ladies, I'd encourage you also to, to realize that you're wonderful moms. And their kids are going to be fine if you take a half an hour, an hour, an evening to go out with your husband while the kids are in good hands and connect. And I'm convinced that if we as husbands and wives can do that, and while we're doing that, remember it's an illustration of how I then need to be making a connection with Christ a priority on an everyday basis, then there's hope for us sticking close to our first love. And you know what's so cool? is You've been there. Have you, those of you that are married, have you experienced that close connection with your spouse? It's joyful. It's fulfilling. It's wonderful. There again, another great illustration that that connection with Christ is joyful and fulfilling. It's the way God designed us and wired us to live. We have an unbelievable blessing to stay close to Him and then to serve one another. It's great. So let's abide and let's deepen those relationships. First with Christ, our first love. And then secondly, Uh, with the other blessings of relationship that God has given us. So they had left their first love. What was the solution? All was not lost. All was not lost. They had a chance to repent. One of my favorite uh, understandings of repentance is this idea of making a 180 degree turn. A 180 degree turn. If you have GPS and you're going down the road and you miss a turn, what do you hear? Make a U-turn, right? Make a U-turn. And she won't shut up until you make that (laughs) U-turn. That's repentance. Repentance is a U-turn. It's acknowledging, I'm going the wrong way here. I'm off course. I've got to make a turn. I've got to make a turn. Repent and get back to the close connection and communion with Jesus Christ. And what's hard is that the difficulty is not in the turn. The difficulty is admitting to Christy that I made the wrong turn in the first place and that I have the need to go the other way. Right? It's our pride. It's our pride. Let's soften our hearts and let's acknowledge where we need to make a U-turn, where we need to repent. Maybe that's for the first time. Maybe you don't have that relationship with Christ. Scripture's clear from the verses that that Mark read that that, uh, I sought to quote this morning that He's done it all to have that intimate relationship. And simply by trusting Him, relying on Him, receiving Him as your Savior, you then have this connection that we've been talking about. And if you've received Him, draw close to Him. Draw close to Him. He is there. Again, Revelation 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Symbolic. And He is hes knocking. Allow Him in. Allow Him in. Not just externally, not just through doing this, doing this, doing this, but through an intimate, close relationship. And there's all kinds of other things to, to say here. And again, I'd encourage you to study it and to... Uh, See what they have to say? Again, he wraps up with good encouragement. What's the good encouragement? That they hate evil. And he names a certain group of people that was known for their evil worldly ways. And he says, you know what? You're staying away from evil. That's good. Keep that up. And even in that encouragement, remember that the best way to do that is by a close, connected relationship with their first love. The one who has an ear had better hear. Well, I see that all of you have at least one ear. And we've got to hear and obey. What the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will permit him to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. Enormous blessing and reward is, is there for those of us that will obey and commit to having that love relationship with our Savior. Father, we're thankful that Your Word is clear, sometimes too clear, Lord, because that shows the U-turn is needed. And I thank You for working in my heart, especially the last week, showing me that the best laid plans and the best goals are just empty if they're not um, carried out to honor You and to please You. You know what? I've been encouraged, Lord, that... That, as you've commit connect uh, what's the word uh, convicted me of that, as you've convicted me, that my focus has been too much on self and doing. Uh, I've been grateful that the, the goals and the plans haven't needed to change a whole lot. Father, it's my focus, it's my passion, it's my direction, and that needs to be heavenly on you and on your son. Lord, maybe my brothers and sisters are in the same place this morning and we pray that uh, in the roles and in the calling that You have for us, Lord, that in all of that we would draw our faces to You and seek You. And we're thankful that You promise that those who seek You will find You when, when we seek You with all our heart. And we want to be followers of Christ, holders, lampstands holding up the light that are connected and close to our awesome Savior. We pray in His worthy, precious name, Jesus' name. Amen.